0: After suffering a tragic double loss, Lori lazinski found herself alone in the world. Or at least that's how she felt. An orphan, grappling with an existential crisis. Lori found herself spiraling downward emotionally until, through the new hobby of riding motorcycles that she had acquired, she discovered salvation. Only then could she turn to what she knows best, professional filmmaking To make a film to reflect on her past relationships, all from the seat of her motorcycle and in the light of day. And to help others also navigate their own inevitable losses. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manicas, so, Simon Vince, Simon Davies, Bill Bragood, Charles yeah. Snow, Charlie Bowman, yeah. Simon Thomas, Peter Johnson, Grant Jarvis, yeah. Clinton Smith, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, CyclePump.com. It's wind pressure that powers the Motobreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets, Motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. (laughs) GreenChiliADV.com.
1: My name is Lori Lazinski. I am regularly based in Vancouver, BC, but I was raised in Edmonton, Alberta, and Hilo, Alberta. And I am currently making my living as a filmmaker.
0: Lori, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio.
1: Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Vancouver. So you're living in Vancouver. Is that because of the industry that you're in or is there another reason you end up in Vancouver?
1: I actually ended up in Vancouver. I was a project manager in telecommunications and I moved out to Vancouver for a job. And um, within two months of me moving there, the company (laughs) claimed bankruptcy. And I was like, I think it's time for a career shift. (laughs) And, And I looked and there was all these like And I had moved from um, Edmonton via Calgary. I was in Calgary for about a year as well in telecom. And then there was all these film trucks all over the place. And I'm like, what is that? And I kind of looked into, you know, the film industry and what roles were there. And I saw that my skills as a project manager really were the same as a producer in so many ways in the film industry. So I went to film school. And that's 20 some years ago. <laughs>
0: and what, what do you do now?
1: I predominantly make my living as um, a film and television producer. So I produce feature films, documentaries. I'm producing a television series right now. Uh, yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot of different things, but I'm also moving more into writing and directing as well.
0: Does, does it raise eyebrows of, of people you work with when you say that you, you started out in the in the telecom industry and then just decided that after seeing some trucks, hey, I'm going to get into film? Because the reason I say this is because it seems like film is one of those things that you hear a lot of people that are so passionate about it. You know, they've, they've watched films since they were a kid and they've always dreamt about becoming, you know, well, maybe an actor would be the big one, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because I think growing up in Edmonton, I didn't know like being in the film and television industry was an, an option. Like, I, I really just didn't mm-hmm. know that. Like I actually was, um, thinking about becoming a chartered accountant. So I, cause I've always been good with numbers and my dad actually talked me out of it. <laughs> he's uh. like, he's like, you're going to be really bored. Um, so I went into marketing. That's what I, t- I took business and business communications and marketing in college. And then I came out and I was, uh, project managing telecommunications. And then when I went to Vancouver and I, you know, moved into the film industry, my dad actually really, really encouraged it. And, um, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a strange way to go about it. But, um, I have a, I have a memory of writing a book report about Alfred Hitchcock when I was in elementary. So I think it all, I think it's all working out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your dad said that you'd be bored as an accountant. That is, that's the type of job that I think a parent would, most parents, many parents would tell their kids, yes, definitely go do that because everyone has in their mind, they want their kids to be secure. But then when you said that you got into the film industry and he again is excited for you, well, that would be another one that is is kind of strange. It's it's a departure from the, I guess, the traditional parenting advice you think you would hear.
1: Yeah, I had unusual parents that way, um, which I'm extremely grateful for and, and, the thing is like, I do have strong accounting skills and I took a lot of courses, which helps me tremendously as a producer and everything that I'm doing. But um, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was a, a farm kid. He grew up on a farm and he had big dreams and, you know, he went to DeVry Tech in Toronto and then eventually he got his, you know, electrical engineering degree. And, but he was like a real salesman in that way. He wasn't a typical engineer. So I think when he saw me do like kind of going that way he's like I just I think he just thought there's more I can do with those skills like don't don't stay in one lane with it mm. yeah I'm I'm really really grateful for those experiences you know and the things that you know he taught me on the way up and even watching his own life like he didn't stay in one lane either not at all he had about seven <laughs> different paths he was taking all the time and we were also like a really athletic family like all of us were into competitive sports. Like both my parents, um, they met playing volleyball and my mom was a equestrian rider. And, you know, my dad played very high level fastball and, um, I played senior A level fastball in Canada and college volleyball. And my sister was like a ball player and still curls. My cousin is like, you know, um, a world-class winning coach for curling and an Olympic gold medalist. And (laughs) so like, yeah, I have a really, and I think that's part of that too, is like just that kind of strive that competitive drive to be like the best you can be. And, you know, especially in athletics, you know, you're not just good at one thing. You got to be great at a lot of things to really succeed.
0: You know, when you were saying about coming from a a competitive athletic background where you learned competition, with what you're doing now, is it the drive to win that is the key or is it the confidence in your abilities? Because you had to have both of those
1: with athletics. It's a little bit of both. Um, I, uh, I definitely want to be the best. Like that has always been, you know, it's one of those things and this might sound terrible, but you know, my, my dad used to say, if you're not first, you're last. (laughs) So (laughs) that sounds like really harsh, but I I really see the positive in that. And, and, and sometimes coming last is part of the process. Um, You know, I've, I've learned great lessons from not getting the things that I worked really hard for. I've, I've, I've learned extremely great lessons from that. Um, But I also know when you achieve everything that you set out to do and you do it in a way that's authentic to you and the people around you, there's not a feeling that can top it. And I'm always kind of reaching for that high, you know, and and because it's one of the most incredible feelings, whether it's like hitting the home run that wins a game or it's like making that last save or it's like creating a story that debuts on a world stage or even creating a story that changes one person's life. All of that is a high for me and all of that is um, why I do it.
0: When you do that and you become the number one, there's a whole bunch of other people that are not. How does that play out?
1: Well, the thing is, and that's the difference because in, in what we do, it's collaborative and it's teamwork. When I win, we all win. And that's like I I didn't really I didn't really respond to like sports where like I used to I I used to be a sprinter when I was in, you know, junior high and that um, and I didn't really respond to the to respond to the single person sport. I really like team sports because when when you're on a winning team, it takes all different types of people to win it's like not everyone can have the same personality and the same drive and the same skills like it it requires all of us and i've i've been on i've been on winning teams and i've been on losing teams and um and there's 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 lessons to be learned with both of them um because that happens all the time you know i've i've also made i've i've made films that you know weren't as successful as we'd all hoped you know and and that's a that, and that's learning and it's painful. Um, but I think just you know I, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in in, in the world for sure and and because i I really love building teams and I love building teams with different personalities. and because that's that's kind of what makes the best work
0: so you you ride motorcycles now. When did you start riding?
1: Uh, I started riding about nine years ago,
0: so you've been riding for nine years. Now, this competitiveness you have, does, does it come <laughs> into that? You said you're highly competitive. I mean, is it in everything? Is it in your riding as well?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. You
0: could have skirted that.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I like I like to lead when I ride. If I'm riding with people, I either like to lead or I like to, you know, um, pull the tail so that I can watch everyone and, and, and keep everyone safe and protected. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's... I have a couple different bikes and, you know, there's a, there's a, a group that I ride with in Vancouver, you know, during the week and, you know, there's, um, a a small town up the coast of Vancouver called Squamish and we'll go once a week out for tacos or ice cream or everything. And we all get on our sport bikes. And most of the time I'm, I'm the only woman and I hold my own. (laughs) And I like that.
0: (laughs) There's not a women's group that you
1: ride with? Oh, there's actually, like, that's predominantly what I do. I, I, I most of the time have ridden with women and I really enjoy that. And, like, you know, some women we have similar skills in riding and some we have different skills. And, and, and I definitely adjust to, you know, the levels of everyone we're around. And obviously, I ride with women that are, way better than I am. And, you know, I learn a lot from them too, but yeah. And I think that's also why I kind of like to ride alone a lot as well, just because I don't want to be competitive with other people or worrying about other people. And I can just kind of be completely present with myself, which I really love.
0: Mm. Yeah. You, d- does the competitiveness in you though, kind of drive you nuts sometimes, <laughs> like where you feel like you're, I mean, cause you're always driven.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I have a better balance with it like now, like I'm in my late 40s and I have a much better balance with it now than I was like when I was 25. So I'm really grateful actually that I've learned to ride a bike later in life Mm. than when I was younger because I I think I would have done a lot of dumb things when I was younger because... I had a sports car when I was younger, you know, I lost my license quite early on, (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, so I've always, (laughs) sometimes that competitiveness can, can reveal itself in not healthy ways. Um, But I feel like the later, as I, as I'm aging, which I love, I'm a really grateful aging woman. I, I, I love all the knowledge and the wisdom and, and the balance I have within myself. So it's, you know, I, uh, I feel like I'm, a much, I'm in, I'm in a much better place with riding and, and my competitiveness, but I will say it still comes out.
0: (laughs) That is going to stick in my mind. What you just said, that was beautiful That, that you're really grateful aging. That that's incredible because most of us just complain about aging, right? I, I mean, you know, and you're still young, really. <laughs> but, but as we get older, the the one thing that I can appreciate with it is the wisdom. But I feel like life is backwards. You know, I'm starting to learn everything just at the point where it's of no use to me, and I'm going to take it with me when I go.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's and that's kind of the the you know the human condition is to look reflect on all of those younger years because. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have all those experiences, and I didn't know all that stuff, and I didn't, you know, make stupid mistakes or <laughs> really smart choices. You know, I made a couple, <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, I just think there's so many there's so many people that are not with us today, and you know, I don't, I don't listen to the the bull of the capitalist industry that you know that tells me I'm ugly and unlovable. I don't listen to any of that (laughs) stuff. I, I'm just like, yeah, like for me, I, you know, my company, like my production company is called Violator Films. And it's really about, you know, kind of violating those, like, you know, taking a stab at all those stereotypes because I just don't, I don't subscribe to that anymore. You know, Mm. I, I happily tell anyone my age, I turned 49 on May 15th and I'm really stoked about it. And I'm, I, you know, my hair is short and silver, which I adore. And I'm just, I, yeah, every day I'm kind of just trying to be an example of like a really balanced, healthy woman.
0: You started riding when your parents passed away? I think when your dad passed away, and I want to ask you about that, but first, why, why didn't you ride when you were younger? And when did the bike sort of become apparent to you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was, I can't pinpoint the exact moment when my dad was kind of like, you know, no to like motorcycles. Cause No one was really riding them so much when I was growing up. (laughs) I had a trike, which was like, oh my god! I think actually more dangerous than a motorcycle. Like, (laughs) I was an animal on that trike. Like, when as a young as a young girl, you're talking motorized trike. Yes, like the the
0: Hondas and things like that they came out with. Yeah, no, I I had one as well. They're they're just dangerous. It's As simple as that.
1: (laughs) They were so dangerous, and so like I would ride that all the time. And you know, and you know, he taught me at a young age, like how to drive the swather and like I was driving his car like by myself when I was like 10 you know when I would take you know food out to the field for him and stuff like that when he was farming so you know it's it's so I don't and then I knew people that rode motorcycles like through my youth and it was most it was all it was all men and I was on the back of one motorcycle once and I vowed I would never do that again because I he, he scared me and I was like I don't need this (laughs) in my life (laughs) I don't like being a passenger on a good day and and I think too like I had those memories like when my family would do like camping and road trips in the summer and go through BC I just remember seeing all those people on motorcycle tours and it was normally people like older and they had like the big gold wings and they were hauling like and I was just like I was so fascinated like I would just stare at them and and i kind of forgot about that and then after my dad passed um my boyfriend at the time was a motorcycle rider and i think we just started talking about like riding and and doing trips together and i was like i'm going to go get my license and i and i and i went and got my learners i failed the first time because i was really cocky about it. <laughs> so I was really yeah, I I was just like I failed the learners like the like the multiple choice one and I was like, okay, it's not as easy as I think it's going to be. Um so I went and I I redid it and I got my learners and then I I, I took lessons and um with a company called Pacific Riding in Vancouver who were amazing and they basically taught me how to stay alive on the road and I'm still here so I guess they did a good job mm-hmm. and um and then and then actually um my mom i i you know we discovered my mom was um had terminal cancer so i actually didn't get my full license until after she died but i i i did buy a, you know a little CBR 250 to to play around on while i had my learners and then after she passed i i got my full license
0: well i'm, I'm sorry for your loss for for both your parents um... Yeah, it's a, a tough thing to go through in life, for sure. You you mentioned your dad told you that motorcycles were too dangerous when you're riding your trike, and you're, you're you're lamenting that. Did that stop you from riding? Is is that what sort of held you back? And then you feel that when he, once he's gone, that okay, I can get on a bike now.
1: It did. I think it was all subconscious, to be honest. Like it really felt like. Well, I mean, and I think that was part of the whole process too. It's just like you know, after he passed, because I. You know, a lot of what I did in life was to impress him and to make him proud of me, you know, and and I think like after that, somewhere in my body, I just decided I had to start living my life for me. And I don't know what that looked like, but I think getting a motorcycle was one of those things like this is just mine and no one's going (laughs) to tell me I can't have it or I can't do it.
0: Mm. You didn't feel like it was sort of a, a departure from your dad? Like, you know, like saying, okay, well, that's it. Now I'm going to do it because you, you don't know.
1: Well, he didn't know everything, did he?
0: <laughs> true, our didn't. Parent,
1: our parents don't know everything. This is so true. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know where his fear about that came from. Like that was his fear, not mine. So.
0: mm. That is like standard advice. It's almost like, you know, advice that you, you get with the booklet when the child is born. And, and it has the instructions in there. And one of them is tell them not to ride a motorcycle. And we have all these things that we project onto our children that to, I guess just to keep them safe, right? And, I remember interviewing one time with with someone and they'd mentioned that. And then they mentioned later on their their parents had didn't even have the recollection of saying not to ride a motorcycle. They, they don't even remember saying it yet. They thought that was the thing, you know, and I'm just wondering how serious or how adamant was your father about you not riding the bike or or did you just read into that
1: I think I read into it completely I don't I don't really remember exactly when it happened I don't remember the moment I normally have a pretty good memory for those things but it was just an overall feeling like I didn't want to disappoint him in that way for some strange reason because I definitely disappointed him in many other ways but (laughs) (laughs) uh you know bad boyfriends and all of that kind of good stuff that we do as young women. Mm. Um,
0: <laughs> well, it's not your fault if it's a bad boyfriend. It's the boyfriend's fault.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that had nothing to do with me whatsoever. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, yeah. So I think it was just, you know, it's an excuse in some ways, you know, for you not to try things. And when, when that seeming obstacle was removed, there was no reason not to anymore. And I, and again, like, you know, I had a, I had a boyfriend at the time that was a, a rider and, and he loved it so much. So um yeah. And, you know, and then we basically broke up before we had time to ride together. So I guess that all <laughs> worked out the way it was supposed to as well too.
0: Well, yeah, there's, there's the good that came of that, you know, from that is that, yeah. uh, well, he encouraged you to get on the bike.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, even, that's like for me, most relationships, you know, even if they didn't work out there's there was still good that came from them mm.
0: How important is your your bike to your life right now? How big
1: of a part of it is it? Oh well, it's um, yeah, I'm currently producing a television series, so I don't have my bike with me, and I'm really, really missing it um yeah it it's it's incredibly important for my mental health. And, um, yeah, I'm completely connected to both my bikes for different reasons because the you know, they both take me to different places and I have different experiences on them. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I really feel Jim and it's, it, it sounds dark, but I really don't think I'd be here today if I didn't find it. I was really I was really in an, in a state of despair after my parents died and that bike really got me like out of bed off my couch out of like you know the darkness of my apartment and got me back into the world and and gave me a reason to live because when you're riding you kind of have like you're really alive <laughs> you mm-hmm. really feel alive when you're riding
0: and you said before um you're in a present state or when you're riding or you die basically which is so true
1: yeah yeah and and i think that's what i absolutely needed i needed to not be existing in a state of grief all the time because that's all i was doing right and and i needed to do that too like i needed to just sit with all of that sorrow and really process it um but at a certain point i needed to like leave it behind in in a way and, and leaving it behind was like getting on that bike because it was still waiting for me when I got home. (laughs) It's not Mm -hmm. like it went anywhere. Right. But I think getting on the bike allowed me to just be free of it for as long as I'm riding, as long as I'm on that bike, I am free of like the past. I am free of the future and I am just observing and I'm smelling and I'm hearing and like it, it doesn't allow you to sit in anything too long. You know, there's like I always like there's just like that loose reality to writing, which is what to me, which was life saving. It was essential.
0: What is it, or what was it about your parents' passing? And, and, and don't misread this about your parents' passing that was that was so detrimental to your life. Like, why was it such a dark time from you? I know that it, passing parents, obviously, that that's extreme pain. But was there there more to it, or 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 was that what was really affecting you at that time?
1: Um, I think I think I just I really I really felt like they were the only people in my life that loved me unconditionally. You know, like I didn't really know if I was gonna ever get that again and and what I didn't realize that as I was kind of living through their their love of me and not for the love of myself so I think through this whole process and um yeah I learned how to love myself and that was I think kind of the biggest thing um that I just completely like if I had them I was fine like anything I did I was gonna be fine I could always go to them they always had my back I'm I was extremely fortunate to grow up with two parents that were so supportive you, you know they separated when I was a I was a young girl but like both of them always had my back and and when that's taken away from you um, and I'm a bit of a lone wolf <laughs> like I have a lot of friends and stuff but I, like I'm a really really fiercely independent person um and I don't like to ask for help and I don't like to be taken care of um yeah when they both when they both passed I I just felt completely alone, like orphan alone. Um, And I thought about that a lot.
0: And you broke up with your boyfriend about the same time?
1: He technically broke up with me, but yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
0: But but I mean, all this. Go ahead.
1: I was not a lot of fun to be around at that time. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: it's a tough time. And of course uh, that's what you yes. do with somebody you love is you help them through that, that time. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out for you with him, and that you, you end up going your own way and then feel so alone with, at that point. But, but the motorcycle then with you starting the process before your mom passed, obviously that was just to ride or, or something in there to ride, but it became something more. Is, is that what happened through the death of both parents and the loss of the, the boyfriend or the separation of the boyfriend?
1: yeah it became a lot more because I don't think I realized what kind of rider i was I wanted to be um, so uh, and and that was something I discovered after she passed and when i you know i I bought <laughs> a purple streak triple um for my fortieth birthday that was the present to myself and um a friend of mine that also rode, and we hadn't um seen each other in a while because she had moved to Toronto. Um, you know, I told her I got my license cause she had always had her license and we were talking on the phone and she's like, I heard of this, you know, this event in California called Babes Ride Out. And I, I was like, oh my God, I have heard of that too. And she's like, should we go? And I was like, yes. So she ended up flying to Toronto. Um, and I think this was in the fall of 2014 or 15. I can't remember exactly what year, but yeah. So it was like, she flew from Toronto and I actually rode my street triple down to California myself uh-huh. and everyone thought I was nuts. Cause I don't, I had, I hadn't been riding that long and I was just like, but I'm used to being on the road and it, and it didn't bother me at all. I had the best time, but you know, I rode down to California. It took me three days and she flew in and we met and like, we just had the most amazing experience being camping in Joshua tree and being surrounded by like a thousand other women that were doing exactly what we were doing. Wow. I, I, I just can't describe, like, it, it's really, like it was life-changing. It was life-changing for me. And, and I think it was that moment that I was just like, Oh, this is the kind of rider I am. Like, I want to travel. I, I'm going to buy a different bike. I always knew, I, I actually thought I was going to get a BMW GS, but I, I ended up um kind of falling in love with the tiger the triumph tiger and they're both wonderful bikes. I rode the GS a lot, but I fell in love with the tiger. And, um, but that's also my Chinese Zodiac animal. Uh, (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm actually wearing my triumph tiger t-shirt right now for this conversation. Oh, you didn't Um, have to, this is audio only. (laughs) I I know, but I, you know, but I gotta, you know, I gotta get in that state of mind. So, yeah. But so I think it was that moment where I was just like, oh, this is the kind of rider I am. And for me now, like I've taken off-road training and doing that kind of stuff, but that's kind of where I'm progressing is I want to do a lot more off-road riding. And I've gone to see like the like the Wisconsin backroad discovery route film. And I've seen another one this past year. Like I really, really just, I really want to get on those back roads and really experience nature and see where my bike can take me.
0: going to take a quick break when we come back i want to ask Lori about this connection that women seem to have with motorcycling that i'm not sure as i feel when i go out with the guys stay with us you visit a podiatrist for your feet a chiropractor for your back a cardiologist for your heart because they specialize in one area and that's where the expertise is and when it comes to motorcycle camping gear well you visit motocampnerd.com because motocampnerd specializes in motorcycle camping gear that's it they are a real brick and mortar store they live and breathe motorcycle camping gear in fact ben and mary williams the founders of Moto Camp Nerd, are serious motorcycle campers themselves and they say that everything they've chosen to stock for the store is chosen for its size and durability, specifically for motorcycle camping. And they stock a ton of stuff. I mean, brand names like Big Agnes, Garmin, Cedar to Summit, Nemo, and just many, many more. If you have any questions, they're happy to help you out. Just contact them. The store is located in Archdale, North Carolina, a real brick and mortar store you can walk into. But they also have a full online ordering system, and their website, motocampnerd.com, is available 24 hours a day, of course. Pack small, camp easy is what they say, motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, motocampnerd.com. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Inspired by years of personal riding experience and feedback gathered from riders across the globe, Giant Loop designs products for travel, discovery, and exploration, and they believe that lighter and simpler is better, that how we ride should not be dictated by what's strapped to our motorcycles. Riding is just plain more fun when unnecessary weight and bulk are removed, and who can argue with that? Giant Loop eliminates elements focusing on what's needed to serve the product's mission, so no extra straps and buckles, no everything in the kitchen sink designs. Instead, each product is purpose-built to enhance the riding experience for those who want a modular and customizable packing system that's durable, stable, intuitive, and lightweight. They also make liquid reservoir bags to carry on your motorcycle. The Armadillo bags are for storing liquid hydrocarbon products and other power sports and automotive fluids. And the Cactus Canteen is for water. I love these bags. Now, if you ever have the need for a little more and don't want the bulk and hassle of carrying bottles with you... Have a look at these giantloopmoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. The next time you're pulling your toolkit out of your motorcycle, take out the socket for maybe your axle nut, slip it on there, and now grab that socket with your fingers and try to twist the nut loose. Likely you can't do it, and if you can, there's a problem. And why can't you do it? It's because you don't have any leverage to it, or very little leverage. Now put the ratchet handle on, and instantly you have leverage now think about standing up and riding your heavy adventure motorcycle and think of those tiny stock foot pegs they just don't have the leverage to give you the control that you need and that you want while riding your motorcycle in fact they're very likely also lacking the connection between your foot or your boot and the peg which is essentially the connection between you and your motorcycle very very important ims product solves this with a complete Line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs ranging from some large ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to the much smaller core series. And what these pegs have in common is excellent design, materials, and manufacturing. So you get a tough, dependable peg that adds control and increases your riding skills. IMS products foot pegs are all made in the USA, all have a lifetime warranty, and all made of 17.4 cast certified stainless steel. And you know what? They even look amazing. Get the tools for your bike that will increase your control and comfort with IMS Products foot pegs. IMSProducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSProducts.com. You you mentioned about the Babes Ride Out thing and and a thousand women. That's amazing. Like I I didn't realize it it was that the, the meetings were that big or the rides were that big. But um, what you're describing there sounds so different. I like. I feel like I'm, I'm getting a bit of a ripoff here because as a male, I'm not going to experience that. When you get a bunch of guys together, I don't. I don't get that feeling. Like I don't get that. Like there's there's a, there's certainly lots of fun and everything, but I mean, I don't get what you're describing. You know, with with, with other male riders, how is that
1: different for you? Um, I think it's well. I kind of say I've said it a few times too, and I think you know there's another reason why I think women um kind of respond to motorcycle riding as well and it is that present state because women aren't allowed to exist in a present state and we haven't for many thousands of years um you know and it's and it's because you know we have a heap of responsibility on us we have oppression we have racism we have classism we have all the isms Um, And so going to an event like Babes Ride Out where I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that are like me, I've never felt more safe in my entire life, Jim. Like when I was like, you know, we'd be out dancing and drinking and having fun and singing and you're just like meeting all these new people and there's no there's no, you know, threat to my safety. And then I get to just walk back in the dark to my tent alone Mm -hmm. and feel completely safe like i've never felt that in my life never wow as a as a woman we're not you know that's not like so that's that's not a state that we can ever exist in normally
0: yeah and i guess as a male you sort of take that for granted you don't really expect anything to happen
1: no no and it and it honestly makes me it, I, I do think a lot about it and it makes me sad. Like I had made, I had directed another short documentary um, a couple of years ago called The Pilgrimage that my friend Chris Vautour was organizing. And, um, and it was a women's only mindful motorcycle camp out on Vancouver Island a couple of years ago. And, you know, afterwards, because I, I had filmed the ride and then after I had 10 of those riders come in, um, to a recording studio where I could record us all having conversations about why we ride and that ride in particular. And the recordist was a, a man and he is a motorcycle rider too. And then after it was over, because, you know, we laughed, we cried, like we had, like you know, we all bonded over the experience and why we ride together. And after they all left and him and I were just, you know, packing up and saying, he's like, he kind of said the same thing as you. He's like, I'm, He's like, I feel really sad that I don't experience riding the same way that you guys do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, like <sighs> I I want that for you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I want that for all men. I want I want for all men to like connect in a different way and and be you know more accepting of the emotions that we all have <laughs> that. Yeah. And none of that is bad. Like I think the patriarchy has been incredibly hard on all genders and uh, you know, I do, but I, do, I'm hopeful. I see, I see a lot of, you know, I, I see a lot of men trying to change that paradigm for themselves. And I think we'll all be healthier when, you know, we can all be more open with one another and treat mm-hmm. each other, you know, more as humans, not as genders.
0: Do you find that you're are you fully accepted? Do you think everywhere you go as a motorcyclist with men and, and women?
1: No, I, I don't, don't think so. <laughs> no. Why? Why
0: is that? You know, you you hear this a lot, and you know, I've had this conversation. And the thing is, I don't really see it. You know, I I don't I, I'm not experiencing it obviously, and I don't see it with the people that I deal with. I don't see that, but I hear the stories. I hear stories of going into dealerships and, and being, you know, refused a bike when they want to buy a bike was, was one story, which is, I just find shocking, but what sort of things do you find? What do you feel?
1: Um, it's the things you feel like you can, like, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an empath, so I can really feel energy from people. And yeah, I, you know, I, I walk around like a pretty confident lady. I take care of myself, you know, I, I and, and, bothers some men (laughs) Mm. like even without even speaking like the way I hold myself and the way I walk and um, you know the way I I talk and I try and have like a good time and um, you know be open to everybody you know some folks don't respond to that well and you know you, you don't know where everybody comes from right you don't know how they've grown up you don't know where they've been socialized and how they've been socialized. And so, you know, I, that's, I mean, cause it comes from women too. Also, you know, like it's not just men specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also come from, from women for sure. But it's just like those tiny microaggressions, you know, I'll be riding and a guy tells me that, you know, my, sh- my shoes aren't right. And like, you know, God forbid I should fall. I'll rip my feet off. Like, like just crazy things like that, which I don't think they would say to men. <laughs> mm,
0: like, like as if I'm, you don't know because you're a woman. And,
1: and the thing is, it's none of your business what I'm wearing on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: true. I mean, you, you can think all you want, but I mean, you know, generally, I mean, I th- that's what the thing is, like for me, I, I would never even say that to, to anyone, I would never tell someone what they should be wearing unless they're asking me, Hey, what do you think about this?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Right. So it's just like, it's all of that stuff. And like, you know, the thing that's also really great about being a female rider is that people want to come and talk to you. And I love talking to strangers, like everywhere I've been, you know, if I'm out on my own and I've got my big tiger all packed up and I'm like at a gas station and then just like, you know, having something to eat, everybody wants to come and talk to you, which is really, really fun. And it's mostly men. Um, And, you know, they're just like, aren't you scared to be out here? And I'm like, of what? <laughs> like i i what do you mean like rioting or like you know they're just like well aren't you scared to be out here alone as a woman i'm like why and i know why but i like to like kind of just stare back at them in a in a you know in a like not in a mean way but just like in an honest way and just going like why is there something i should be scared of <laughs> you know so it's like it and that is always happening like that always ha- that that doesn't really stop so it's it's just kind of like microaggressions all mm. the time and it's just like people talking to me about like picking up my bike and yes I can pick up my bike fully loaded like I've done it <laughs> and I've done it alone many times <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know and like that kind of stuff but also I'm totally fine if someone wants to help me pick up my bike if they're around like help me come on I don't you know right. that doesn't that doesn't, I'm not like I'm not bothered by that at all and but it's like yeah it's just all of those little things and you know for the most part, I'm really fortunate. Like, you know, where I've bought my bikes, those, the people there were totally open. And, you know, I think, you know, shops in Vancouver are very used to, to women buying motorcycles. And I had no problems with that kind of stuff. Actually, I just found they are probably too helpful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. <laughs> like, you know, and, uh and, uh, but even like, you know, I recently bought a vehicle and then like, yeah, like even the sales guys were telling me, they're like, yeah, it's, it's unusual for a woman to come in here and like just buy a vehicle on her own. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or or if you go in as a couple, they tend to look at the guy and, and talk to me, you know, talk in my case, they'll talk to me and it's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm not the one making the decision on this. You know, don't look at me. I, it's uh, that, that kind of stuff is, is quite offensive. I, I don't think anyone really does it. Necessarily on purpose, it, but but you mentioned the the you know the way society is a patriarchal society, and it's certainly well, it's just the way we we learn things. Yeah,
1: I, 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 and I agree with you. It really is. It's a, it's a product of society, and it's a product of socialization. And and I do think a lot of people are completely unintentional about it. But on the flip side. I think it's time for all of us to kind of examine our behavior. And, you know, all I have control of is how I react to situations Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And I think if we all paused (laughs) a little bit (laughs) and thought about things before we said things, um, that might go a long way.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Rather than excusing it by saying, hey, it's the way, you know, I was brought up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was brought up a particular way, too. And, um, yeah, that's the beauty of aging hopefully is, you know, achieving some type of knowledge and wisdom. Right. <laughs> like and <that's> the, what,
0: <laughs> but the trick is, is to pass it on to the younger folks that think they already know everything and aren't interested in listening to what you've learned in life. That's the trick.
1: That's the trick. And all, you know what I find, you know, leading by example, sometimes it's the actions I take, not what actually I say that mm. people respond to. And I'm like that too. I, I'm I'm much more responsive to how people behave than what they say.
0: You mentioned that you, you you made a film. You made a I, I saw that film. That was that was really good. You also made another film called "A Motorcycle Saved My Life." This is about dealing with the loss of your parents. You know, and and I watched the film and I liked the film and and I'm, I'm curious about making a film about this. Was was this um is this a way to get over it or or why do you make a film about something like that?
1: It definitely. It definitely. You know, and when I think when I started it, I I didn't I thought I was I didn't really know what I was going to say in so many ways. And I don't really think I knew how I would feel at the end of it. But oof, like it really, really put things in perspective for me about, you know, the things that I was always like thinking about and the things that subconsciously were happening in my life. Um, But coming out on the other side of this film and having my family involved and being able to show it to my family, you know, and there's a scene in the film where my family and I are gathered around a fire and none of those women <laughs> knew what I was going to do that night. Like I didn't tell, like I was just like, everyone just come to the fire at 9 PM and there's going to be a camera and we're going to have a conversation and don't wear these type of clothes. And everyone's like, okay. <laughs> 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 um, which is pretty incredible. Like, you know, uh chris Ventura, who i mentioned earlier um was with me when i was telling my family that and 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 later we were driving home together she's like i can't believe your family didn't even ask you like what's happening they're all they all just agreed to i'm like i know but she's like that gives me really a lot of insight into you as a human because if thinking. you yeah if you've got like this kind of family that just like trusts in that like he, she's like that's incredible and you know, I pulled ash, my mother's ashes out of my pocket and I asked everyone to take some. And like, and everyone's like, okay, like this is what we're doing. And my sister was a bit of a mess. And, but I think what was so incredible about that, like after the camera was off and we, we were all sitting around that fire together and all of my family, all of their male partners were like behind us with coolers and just hanging out, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we all just sat around talking like, I revealed myself to my family in a way that I was never able to, and I got to tell them how much I love them, and how much they meant to me, and how um, beautiful it was that they got to be a part of my storytelling life because they didn't really know what I do. You know, like like most. You know, sometimes you don't really know what your your family does for a living, right? Give an idea, you're... but you don't know exactly. Yeah, so for them to get to see that and like just having my family actually involved in the sto- in the in the making of that and as well like all those audio interviews which I had recorded almost 2 years before we filmed it. Like just having those conversations like we're so much closer as a family. Like I am. And I I wish that for everybody, you know. Um so I'm just extremely grateful and fortunate to have an experience like that and I mean and what I learned is that Grief connects us. Grief invites us to connect. And where prior to that, grief held me all alone. And now I share that with people. And even through the making of this film, the amount of people that came that were attracted to us because of the grief process and why we were doing that. And of course, people were wondering, why the hell is this van with a camera mounted on the hood following this woman on a motorcycle? (laughs)
0: It's always an attractor, definitely.
1: (laughs) People are like, "What are you guys doing?" And then to hear like me tell the story, and then that allowed them to share their stories of grief with me. Like that's a beautiful experience. And even you know we're experiencing grief within our team. Like you know our director of photography um, Diana Perry lost her grandmother while we were filming. So I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful she was with us during that time because we really held her and you know allowed her to grieve while we were doing that and. Also, we were driving through fires all across lower BC. So we were grieving the land, you know, and I I just, yeah. So I really came out of that um, with such a healthier, healthier perspective of grief and vulnerability. So I'm, I'm really good with that stuff now. And people can really talk to me about that. I invite those conversations. Um and, and I think most people know in my life, if they're going through hard times, I'm, I'm one of those people that can, that can be there for them. And that means a lot to me.
0: I often think of grief as something that you're, you're dealing with on your own, you know, that you deal with on your own, that it's something that you're feeling that no one else can feel for you sort of thing and, and not so much sharing. And, and so, I mean, I, I can certainly see the power of having people who, well, not only that you want to share it with, but that, that actually want to hear it. Because it's tough to hear.
1: It's really tough to hear. And it's tough to know what to say. And it's, but, but it's just, I think it's, it's a little bit about just being present with someone. You kind of don't need to do much. You just need to be there and not be afraid of it. Cause I think, I think, you know, when people are, are are grieving and they're in those raw stages of grieving, you can feel when people don't want to be around you. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you're like the, like, I think the veil of your, like, I think the veil, you know, of your, you know, maybe the walls that you put up were all like, I think all of that kind of crumbles when you're in grief and you're really raw. So, you know, you kind of feel like you don't want to make anybody sad around you. And I think that's just a Western, I think that's part of our Western patriarchal capitalist, like, like narrative that's been fed to us for a really long time. And I just, I think we need to kind of let all that go as well. Cause I, I actually don't think we're supposed to grieve alone. I, I, we're not we're not supposed to
0: so the the point of making a film about you dealing with your parents and and your parents passing and your grief is that to help you grieve is that to teach others about grieving or is that passing on some wisdom of something you've learned about it
1: it feels like a bit of passing on wisdom like i think what i try to show in the film is that you can learn to live with it in a healthy way um and because I'll, I'll never, never get over that my parents aren't here with me in, in, in a human form. They're very much here energetically, um, but they're not, you know, I can't call them. I can't talk to them. I can't hug them. Um, so I think what I really want people to kind of maybe feel after watching the film is that there is some hope for the grief that may be already happening for them or, or maybe coming in the future, a friend of mine and I were having dinner the other night and she's seen the film and she talked about it. And she, she actually said watching that movie gave her hope that she will be able, she will be okay when her parents pass. And like, mm-hmm. that's the greatest thing anyone's ever said to me about the film so far. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, okay, my great, that, I'm good.
0: You also said in the film, I think one of the lines you said was something about um, you thought you had more time. And I'm assuming you're referring to more time with your parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely thought I had a long, long time with them. Like both of their, like I had grandparents that lived like into their 80s and 90s. Like, so I just kind of assumed my parents would be the same. And my dad passed, you know, two weeks after he turned 70 And my mom passed when she was 64. So Uh I just, I really thought I like, honestly that I had 20, 30 more years with them. Um, And then I think too, it's a little bit in talking to myself. Like, I don't know how much time I have. So stop, stop living for other people and stop letting grief stop you and stop letting fear stop you. And so, yeah, I feel like, probably that sentence now is um yeah a little bit more about me I think
0: how important is is the motorcycle in this story it, would it be would it be the same story with something else other than the motorcycle
1: um maybe I don't know you know like I think I think probably if I was, like, riding like my mother was, um, like, I find riding a horse very similar to a motorcycle, like you have to have a presence on a horse, because they act there. Well, because first of all, that's a living creature. Um, But it absolutely, they're absolutely intuitive animals. So they know when you're not there, or they know when you're afraid. And I kind of like to think of that as the bike too. Like I talk to my bike all the time while I'm riding. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, it is. As long as you're
0: not expecting answers, I think it's okay.
1: (laughs) She responds to me in certain ways, you know, like, (laughs) you know, but it's like, but it's also like what I learned in, in riding school too, like trust the engineering of the bike. So I really do that. Like when my fears come up or I'm on a tight corner, I'm coming in a little hot. I really, I'm always like. Trust, and, and both my bikes have names. Like I just, you know, trust that I really do say that out loud in my, in my helmet to my bikes. And it helps me. Like I don't feel alone when I'm on a bike, you know, like I feel like it's the two of us together. And um, there's a really great, um, there was a really great like Japanese manga um, that was about a young girl and her motorcycle and her, moto- and her motorcycle was like real. Um, and they go on all these adventures together. I believe it was called Kino no Tabi. And I think, yeah, I think of that uh, kind of book a lot when I'm out with me and my motorcycle, because it, it does feel like we're a team and we're doing it together. But no, I don't think it's talking to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you added that in. <laughs> You've got what, two films that are, are motorcycle films
1: now? I do. I do. And I have, um, I'm currently writing a feature film, which is inspired by Easy Rider, but it will be women.
0: Mm. Easy Rider, obviously a big film. Most people can relate to it. Um, yeah. it, I thought it was a rather depressing ending myself. I hope you pick a different ending.
1: I am definitely going to have a different ending <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it'll be like two women, um, you know, traveling, uh, across the territory of Canada um and it'll be much more about belonging than an end of something it'll be a new beginning
0: and and is there going to be like is, is this motorcycle thing going to be a theme for you for making films
1: i mean i like it's i have a real passion for it and and you know maybe this will be my trilogy and that will that will be it but i definitely have like a duck documentary series I would love to do about how I think, you know, female riders around the world is a subversive feminist movement. Um, So I've, I've got lots of ideas and I'm like, honestly, I'm so inspired by so many women um, riding. I was, I'm, you know, I was extremely, extremely saddened when, you know, the, the famous Jesse Combs passed a couple of years ago, um, you know, while she was attempting to break the land speed record um, she was someone that I had met a couple times at Babe's Ride Out, and we were not friends by any measures. I had just been in her presence and spoken to her a couple times, but she was really, really an inspiring person. And um, yeah, I just think there's like there's real there's real change that can happen with women in motorsports for some reason.
0: <laughs> what advice do you have for other women that may be considering riding, or maybe just started riding?
1: Um, yeah, my advice is, you know, go at your own pace, find the ride that you, that suits you and find, you know, the people that want to ride like you ride. And, um, and also if you can't, it's a great experience to go out on your own. Um, but yeah, I really, I really encourage it because a lot of women do talk to me about riding and wanting to ride. And I say, don't wait, like, just don't wait. If you want to do it, do it now. And um, and I've also had women that have tried riding and they've taken lessons and they're like, it's not for me. That's also fine. Cause it's not for everybody. <laughs>
0: mm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's so true. Is there a motorcycle trip? I mean, a long trip in, in your future? Are you at that point where you're thinking of these things?
1: Oh yeah. Oh my God. All the time. I was just like messaging with a friend, a motorcycle friend of mine in Vancouver, like two nights ago <laughs> about like wanting to like you know, go down the coast to California in the fall. And I've got a friend in Miami that I keep threatening. I'm going to show up on her doorstep. So maybe that <laughs> will happen this fall. Like I really want to do a bunch of riding through the States, you know, maybe. Um, but I also, I'm, you know, I'm Scottish Ukrainian and I really, I visited Scotland uh, a couple years ago. I would really, really love to explore Scotland on a motorcycle. So I've kind of got that yeah. in my craw a little bit. Nice. Uh I have lot, Yeah, I have lots of, you know, I was talking to another motorcycling friend um, last weekend about taking our adventure bikes. She rides a, a Tenere about like going up up the coast of B.C. into like Haida Gwaii and, and Bella Bella and Bella Kula and all through the, the Chilcotin area, which I have ridden a little bit before. Yeah, I'm thinking about trips all the time and I'm fortunate I live in a place like... I can ride year round for one, but also like there's so many, so many beautiful places to explore. Like I could ride for the next 10 years and never leave British Columbia oh, yeah. and be quite happy. It's, you know, it's
0: just spectacular. I know. I know. In the summertime, of course, you're not riding it. I mean, you, the, that's the one great thing about it on the coast is you can ride through the winter on the coast. It's not the greatest, but certainly amazing. But the the <laughs> province of BC, oh, just amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, just going for like a weekend trip to one of the islands is incredible. Yeah.
0: Where can people see the movie, uh, Motorcycle Saved My Life?
1: It's totally available for anybody in Canada on nfb.ca. And obviously, if you have a VPN, <laughs> set it to Canada and you can watch it.
0: <laughs> I can't believe you just gave that advice.
1: <laughs> why does the National
0: Film Board do that? Why do, why do they only allow it in Canada?
1: it's it's just for now we're hoping for an international release in the next few months but that's um you know that's the first uh leg of the release is to to, is to support it in canada first so i i'm really excited that everyone you know in 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 this part of the world can can see it but um i really have um yeah I, i want everybody to be able to to see it and and the other short documentary i did called the pilgrimage with cbc it's on cbc gem but it's also on their youtube channel so anybody in the world can watch it
0: oh nice okay so that's that's easy to youtube well laurie thank you very much that was great to sit down and talk with you and and i really feel uh, grateful that somebody of your caliber is producing motorcycle films i mean i think that's just fantastic thanks so much
1: oh thank you so much i'm so i was so excited to be here and i've loved our conversation um and maybe we'll ride together one day
0: that sounds good
1: Great. Thank you.
0: speaking with Lori Lazinski, producer, director, and writer from Violator Films. Her recent film we talked about today, A Motorcycle Saved My Life, is a National Film Board production available through the National Film Board. It's also on YouTube in Canada, and I'm not sure if it's on YouTube in other parts of the world, but we have links to the film in our show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and of course you thank you for listening to the show and being a part of it hey if you've got an idea or or you know somebody you think that might make a good interview we'd love to hear from you drop our website and click on the, the contact button and fill out the information thanks now, if you like what you're hearing, you enjoy Adventure Rider Radio and you're not doing it already, we really like it if you would consider the support option. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. It doesn't take much money, but it is built on a model of advertising and listener support, and we need your support. So drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, while, while you're at the website, you can also look at the information there about RAW. That's the other show we do, Adventure Rider Radio RAW. comes out the 21st of every month. It's a separate show. Roundtable talks about motorcycle travel it's very popular and people seem to really enjoy the conversation there lots of fun lots of information anyway all that's at our website but you can also get it anywhere you download podcasts time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening and i will talk to you next week hi this is charlie borman and you're listening to adventure rider radio